Good evening and welcome to Dog Talk. I'm Dan. And I'm Laura. Um, firstly, before we kick off tonight, I'd like to thank our um, Dog Talk team um, for our one step um, forward for Black Dog Institute. We've raised in excess of $3,260. So I'd like to thank everyone for their support uh, for such a great cause. Uh, we'd like to start by thanking our sponsor Enduro for bringing you our live Q&A segments each week. High energy food for working dogs with real kangaroo meat. Tonight, we're fortunate enough to be speaking with Neil McDonald from Advanced Livestock Movement and Management, who will be picking who he thinks has the best question to win the bag of dog food. Welcome, Neil. Tell us about yourself, your family, where you're from and what you do. Yeah, I'm actually struggling to hear what you're saying. It's coming a bit spluttery. That's all right. Um, welcome and, yeah, how are you going? Yeah, 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 very good. How are you going? Yeah, good, thank yeah, you. thanks, mate. So... Tell us a little bit about yourself, your family, what you do and where you're from. Well, I come from a place in, uh, and thank you for the opportunity to come on here. Um, uh, I come from a place called Keith, if you look on a map. It's about 250 k's from Adelaide towards Melbourne, still in South Australia, about 200 up from Mount Gambier. Um, and I, I've, I've been, have been there all my life when I'm not travelling, that is. Um, so it's a family property that Helen runs and runs very well What in my absence. And um, I travel Australia for as many months as a year as there's interest. Last two years, it's been uh, probably 10 months of the year, which is more than normal, but it's just the way it is. And uh, with Corona in the south, that's um, probably a good spot to be in Queensland at the moment. And it has been for the two years, yeah. Why do you think we've um, been... More than you mentioned, more than normal. There, um, why do you think um, that's been the case? I, I missed what you said for a start. That with more than normal schools, you you've travelled more than normal this year. Um, why do you think that's been the case of late? Um, I, I don't know. The, the The interest in dogs and schools comes and goes at at, at, at uh, peaks and troughs a bit. And just at the moment, as with livestock prices, land prices, and everything, there's a lot more bounce about at the moment. Uh, years ago, when things were a bit all right, uh, people didn't mind paying a day rate for staff. Uh, and you would have thought that when there was money about, people would have bought dogs and done schools. But it was when there was a crash in the wool industry or a downturn in the beef industry. When there was a downturn, that sort of brought people out to learn more and to get dogs, uh, which is quite different now where there is uh, prices are way more buoyant. They're probably... Where the way they are now is what they should have been for a lot of years, but at least people are enjoying uh, better times financially on the land at the moment. And um, I think last year with the camp drafts shut down uh, and, and a lot of social events not happening, uh, the opportunity to get and, and come out with people and do a, a, a three days at a dog school was probably appealing uh, because a lot of their other avenues uh, were shut off as far as doing something purposeful, that, that was also socialising. You think that's been reflective of um, the increased value in dogs we're seeing at the moment? It could be. I um, They've shot up, and, and once again, they're probably at the uh, the sort of money that they needed or been a, for a lot of years for the effort that goes into making the good ones and the, the people being rewarded for their time. Um I, it it probably might in the future where the prices of ten or twenty thousand dollars, whatever the case may be, for dogs, people are going to probably see it a little bit more. Uh, but people that can't quite afford to go and buy the the dearer dogs 
it's probably more of an opportunity to get a pup and do a school or two and get enough knowledge to make their own. Um, and that would be an option for those people that can't actually physically afford to go and pay the dearer money. So um, uh, high dog prices could be altering it, but I don't, uh, I don't see it dramatically made a change at the moment. Like you said, it's about time. Um, I know I was speaking with my dad on the weekend and um, we got talking about some of the dog costs at the moment or the prices that dogs are selling for. And he's like, wow, it's a Kelpie. I said, well, hang on a minute. It's just saved you two wages. You know, and once I explained it to him, he goes, well, that's a pretty cheap investment. Yeah, well, I might, don't hold me to the figures. I've heard someone say it, but I think in the Tony Parsons book, it'll talk about a dog that made, 500 pound well decimal currency coming in 1966 and i think the basic wage then was 500 pound so uh, it, it's probably mean and a dog really could be worth 50 or 60 thousand now you, you know that's just a way of thinking and how accurate that is i don't know but it it actually just makes you realize that perhaps dogs weren't going up with the times 100 percent. how did your passions for dogs come to be how did I, I'm I'm still you're sounding very muffled there. I'm only just hearing. How did you again? How did it start? Well, uh, it, it was just being on the land on a family farm with uh, smart like sheep that would run through underneath kangaroo holes under the fence or cut for it through the mallee scrub and um, probably facilities aren't quite up to scratch. So there was always a bit of drama around when there was um, sheep handling. Um, and then when I left school, I went shearing for a good many years and running the place on a weekend, uh, not being able to afford laneways, better yards, those sort of things, which wasn't a problem. Um, so consequently, I got a dog to, um, and and then that went on to more dogs that I used them to uh, position themselves in the in the mallee scrub so that when you're bringing livestock to the yards just at the last minute, they didn't do their typical bolt and uh, and finish up where you didn't want them so it was um uh we had dogs but we didn't really have dogs that uh perform well they're they probably just homemade dogs that didn't have enough cover and hold uh probably too forceful in the past. so it was after seeing an, a neighbor of ours a fellow called henry young um Six hundred of his sheep got into our place, and that was a bit of a show. With our poor for the end of it, he was able to stand on top of a hill and across an old limestone quarry, putting a dog here and putting a dog there, and put him under uh, through a gate under uh, a seldom used gate under a mallee bush. And I started to think, well, if uh, if one person can control a, a mob of livestock like that with a dog, that's what really tripped the light. Fantastic to go and and get a, a new dog and make a new start from the ones that we had had in the past. Yeah, um, quarry, uh, you mentioned um, mully scrub, you mentioned quarries as well, quarries I'm familiar with. What's um, mully scrub? Mally, mally is just, uh, uh, it's a eucalypt, it's a, it's a small gum tree that grows uh, lower with more branches, but ideal for sheep, especially a, a ewe with two long-tailed lambs that, they knew how to just pick the right moment and, like Rogue, just cut for it. And then enough of the other mob would, enough of the rest of the mob would start chasing them. And then the mob would be turned back and out through the scrub. So, um, 
yeah, it's uh, well, you know, there's whole districts in South Australia and Victoria called the Mallee, and they're, they're generally yes. cropping areas of lighter rainfall but can be very productive. So, yeah, uh, and you've all heard the term as fit as a Mallee bull, so that's where it comes from. Yeah. That's, a, that's a type of tree, yeah. Uh, equivalent to our Gigi out in uh, western New South Wales, out towards yeah, but, Barora. Yeah, but just probably with uh, lower branches, more it was more um, harder to get through. Yeah, yeah but very. Yeah, <laughs> and you mentioned there, you know, about watching someone else. Um, that the gentleman you mentioned um, working dogs. How um, how are you using um, dogs in your day to day life these days? How, how am I using dogs? Me myself now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, uh, I I cart around with me twelve to fifteen dogs, depending on what's happening, and a half of those dogs I really only take with. I own them, but I purely cart them around to lend to people at school who haven't got a who, who don't have a dog, uh, or bring a dog. Some dogs are a bit King Kong at home, where they uh, they can work like Billy at home, and when you take them to a strange place and start to put a few rules on them, they go and sit in the corner and don't want to play for a couple of days. Well, quite often that person can be a bit devastated because their dog's not working. Well, at least I've got some dogs there to lend to them during the course so they get the feel of how to work a dog so that when they either go and get one or their dog comes out of its um, a bad mood or its uh, sulk, uh, then, then they're up and running. And even um, people that are very capable with good dogs, if you go in and uh, they go into a yard to uh, you know, learn a, a different trick or a different angle on something. Quite often, those people are better off uh, using one of my dogs initially to get the hang of it. Because when they're in there with their own dog, they're so self-conscious about their dog they they don't actually hear any new advice or or uh, they're, they're that concentrated on their dog make, not making a goose. Uh, so that's why I cart as many dogs as I do. But of half of them are my own dogs that. Uh, if I was on a property, uh, and my dogs are all a little bit uh, unconditioned for big days, and and uh, they're not real bush wise at the moment because most of my work's done in a in an area as big as two tennis courts in in a pure training situation. So when I go outside with a bigger mob, my dogs are a little bit goggle eyed sometimes. But uh, I relish the opportunity bringing stock in and taking them away because it does give those dogs of mine an opportunity to do something in the real world and and not just the rehearsal world of a school. So that's the dogs I've got at the moment, and um, they're all a little bit different. So, yeah, that's that's my purpose for a dog at the moment. Not necessarily doing lots of real work, but it's all in the training, mainly in the training. I actually like um, that you mentioned that. I've probably never thought of that myself, um, but, yeah, it's quite easy as a, as a new handler getting in a situation. You're so worried about making sure that, what you're doing with your dog is, you know, you're not looking like a complete dickhead that, um, you know, you don't really take in um, some stuff. So, uh, and, and what's been said and some suggestions and then later you think about it. So, um, yeah, hats off. That, that's actually something I've probably never considered myself. Yeah, I, I call them stooge dogs and it's quite uh, an art form to own dogs that will readily work for anyone else but it, that work will really only be done on, with on balance with bring to work. Uh, these dogs I lend to people wouldn't know to come back, side up with the person, work from the back of the mob and, and do real work. They only do that on balance work, which so many people um, 
when they're starting need to do it. Um, and quite often if someone goes in with uh, their own old dog, some of them got prior convictions with that dog, that, so they're actually going in there and they're trying to iron out some faults where it's it's a lot easier to, to... What we do, we send someone out with one of my dogs and when they, they get going and, and feel comfortable and doing the correct body language, right signals, a um, bit of voice support, we let their dog go and and call mine out. And, and and that really is a good way to get going, especially for uh, for, for anyone, but especially novices. Um, it gets them going and, and then I can either go out, a person goes out, or I can send mine back out if their dog spills them or collides them or, or pushes them into a fence or something like that. Um, they, those dogs of mine can go out and tidy up and get the, cattle, the sheep or cattle central so that their dog is a winner. That's The main thing is about trying to set up a situation so that the the person, like the dogs, need confidence, but actually the learner people need confidence. That's that's yeah. the thing that's probably um, most important. I suppose you're kind of using them as an icebreaker, you know, making the handler more comfortable before you you get started and you know, comfortable with their environment and, and settling in a bit. Oh, most definitely, and it's it's uh, quite an advantage for most people. If I'm talking to the group, I've got offsiders. Once again, I call them stooges. Stooge are people that um, have done a lot of schools with me. They, when I come on the road, when I go on the road, they may come and do one, two, three, or a good number of schools. They come on the road, and they're a real asset for teaching people because I can talk to the group and they can go out and one on one with the person that's out there, either with my dogs or with their own. Um, or sometimes I can go out there, and that gives that person opportunity to talk to the group, which is also ideal because it's given someone an opportunity to coach as well. And that's really what we do need is more people coaching either dog training or stock handling uh, that are readily available. A lot of people, um, they tackle it and they do a few schools and then one reason or other they don't go on with it. So um, it's probably important to be actually uh, creating a situation where learner instructors get confidence as well. Totally, yeah. So... Question here from Jacob Ryan. Do you have any schools throughout New South Wales? If so, whereabouts are some upcoming schools? Um, no schools currently uh, in in New South Wales. There was a little bit of talk in the middle of the year about doing some courses, and then I never heard back from the potential host, but with that came lockdown and, and the corona time. So those people obviously weren't able to uh, get a group together, and I was probably not able to get in there or even that if I did get into New South Wales I probably wasn't, uh, wasn't able to get out so mm -hmm. um, at this stage there's nothing scheduled for New South Wales at all um, yeah, at this stage and, and that'll just depend on on uh, borders and lockdowns and, and interest and it's probably I do less in uh, New South Wales because uh, there's a lot more capable stock people in New South Wales that you know they've already got a uh, they've uh, found someone capable of uh, very capable with dogs and good to teach, and they've probably aligned themselves with them. So I don't actually get the call to do schools in New South Wales as much as other areas because they are probably up and running with uh, the understanding and, and the quality of dogs maybe more than in some other areas. Yeah. Off the back of that, mate, we've just had a question from uh, from Ben here. What would it take you to get you to do a course in New South Wales? How many people would you would you like? Well, that that depends on when I'm travelling through. Like if I'm going from South Australia through to Queensland or, or wherever, 
uh, I can if I've got ten real enthusiastic people, that that's fine. But you know, to come uh, from South Australia and do one school for ten people, you know, a fair bit of the money you earn gets eroded. It sounds a lot of money, but you know, once you keep a vehicle on the road and and the list goes on. Uh, so I really need a runner schools to be able to uh, to to be able to handle smaller schools. Uh, but yeah, if I've got ten people that are the big thing is, especially if they can get there the night before, get camped up, tie their dogs up, get to know one another, and uh, and be in full attendance for the three days. It's when people turn up late they miss they might miss the introduction. So it's like watching a movie; you never know who had the the gun or the knife. So people really need to put their phones down for three days, turn up. And, and a small school's good if, if everyone's really in it behind it. But if they're drifting in and got to go away for a couple of hours one afternoon and start late the next day, well, then uh, it, it's pretty hard to, to handle a small school because the content's not there. It's um, uh, a, a lot of it, within reason, the more people in the school, the more the participants learn they think that by having a some people think that by having a small school they get more attention but with a, a, an adequate amount of people it it creates its own fire if you know what i mean we need someone with a tiny pup that they can't catch and an old dog that's gone sour and one that bites a leg too much and one that wants to jump out of the yard and go home and some really good dogs as well so therefore the participants get to see all different types of dogs and hopefully enough of the the remedies to be able to fix them so um i know what you're saying man. yeah it, it I, doesn't I matter and i don't know why we just say again it's frozen on us thank you i was gonna say i totally understand where you're coming yeah. from there because uh, I, I learn more from watching um than yep. from doing myself I totally, totally get where you, where you're going with that. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. Yeah. I only, hear, I only hear about one word, and I guess the rest. Wrong answer, if I'm saying. <laughs> That's okay. We'll start with a new question then. Right. Uh, one here from Belinda Halliwell. Yep. When ready to start training collie dogs on cattle, how many arena cattle would you start off with and would you first educate them with your more experienced dogs first? Yeah, I, I heard bits of that. Um, how many dogs would I start on? on, on how many wieners? Uh, I use five. I don't know why five. Uh, four is fine. Six would be all right. But we use five at a school because we set up uh, six 20 litre drums in a, in a bit of an alley and five normally are, are the right size to weave through and if you're uh, conscious you can get the front of the mob through the lead through and you've got to make sure that when you turn you don't cut the tail of the mob off like say a semi-trailer going through a gatepost um, so people learn to uh, the, uh, well I'll come at it from a different angle when I see a mob of sheep or cattle I don't see them as a mob of sheep or cattle I see them as the front fifth, the second fifth, the third fifth, the fourth fifth, and the fifth fifth. If it was a big mob, you might see tens. If it was a small mob, you might see halves or thirds. But when in our mind we start splitting a mob into portions of a mob, then we actually start to work them differently, see them differently ourselves, 
and position ourselves so uh, and get the dogs to position themselves better. So, for example, you, uh, if you, as I said before, if you're driving a semi-trailer through uh, an awkward gateway, you've got to be conscious where the prime mover is, and you've got to be conscious where the tail, the, the the back wheels are too. So, having five in a mob actually makes you more mob conscious, and actually probably gets dogs more mob conscious. Yeah. Um, and then the rest of the question was. Would I use older dogs? I would most certainly use older dogs to get the minds of the trainer mob of cattle right so that the pups can manage them. Well answered. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, I see that. And you mentioned there before um, sheep as well. We had a question here from Mark Mangold. Uh, what ratio of cattle to sheep schools would you conduct? Yeah, <laughs> that's That's odd. I, I counted them at one stage. I did 40 uh, cattle schools and one sheep school yeah, in, right. in a run. So there was uh, out of the 41 schools, there was 40 cattle schools. But then that changes too. Um, uh, you know, if, if I'm in the south, which probably I do most of my work here in Queensland or I have phases where they, uh, you know, Western Australia's areas are, uh, embrace it and run with it for a bit and then you don't have a calling there for a while. But if I'm in the south, obviously, the sheep schools, but um, the majority of my work, and don't ask me why, is probably because I started up here and I should have mentioned before that uh, my first introduction to coming to um, Queensland, I did demonstrations at local shows and whatnot showing how dogs worked. So out of that, at the end, you'd get people coming up and asking how to start a dog or how to, whatever the case may be. So it takes as much effort to talk to two as it does to 20. So that's how the dog schools came about. Um, but yes, uh, the, the ratio of, but I did have someone earlier in the year, a, 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 um, a training officer for a, a cattle company, and they also have sheep in the south. And uh, the fellow was was new and he rang up Helen or uh, emailed Helen to ask if I'd ever done sheep schools. Well, uh, I, I guess I've probably done about 300 of them, so 250 or 300 sheep schools um, over the years. So, yeah, that's a, been a fair portion of them, but most of the work is with cattle. So what do you find some of the differences in working sheep to cattle and can most dogs adapt between the two? Uh, there's there's not a huge amount of differences and the good dogs adapt to both. Um, uh, I did have one dog years ago that just would show no interest in cattle and, and that's rare. Generally, if they're a good, brave enough dog, um, if they're... If they're well, it depends how you want them to work. Quite often a dog that's a little bit soft and not real brave is still good in a team uh, with cattle if the cattle are right and there's enough support from the other braver dogs. You know, that dog might get up on the front in front of the mob and just haze them or those sort of things, but it's probably going to lack oomph when you get to a gateway and if your cattle have got stubborn or in a creek or whatever the case may be. Uh, some of the wide, soft dogs um, probably aren't going to be, uh, if you had only them, they wouldn't serve you well with cattle. But then again, if you had only um, soft, uh, distant dogs, they're probably going to struggle on crossbred ewes anyway. So um, some crossbred ewes can be 
as stubborn or awkward as some cattle. So it depends on um, uh, people talk about breeds of cattle. It's it's not necessarily the breeds of cattle. It's the the lines within them, who's been handling them, the original frame of mind. So um, a dog that's good on sheep really would be good on cattle. And a dog that's good on cattle should be good on sheep. But you just might, if it's been, uh, uh, it's never been chipped for biting unnecessarily, then maybe you've got to put a muzzle on it to, to, to have it so that you're not squabbling with it for being too aggressive on sheep, if it's come from cattle to sheep. That question come from Mary McKillop as well. So thanks for that yep. question, Mary. Uh, we actually had a question here about a muzzle um, from Belinda. Um, how do you go? Do you muzzle any of um, any of your collies? So I haven't got my glasses on. Can you finish that for me, Mike? Uh, do you muzzle any of your collies? If they do the nip in collie bite, don't worry about it if it's not a dirty bite. It's just a duck in moving them along, duck out movement. Um. I've only got one collie at the moment. You know, at times I've had three, maybe four at different times, but, yeah, not often I would have had four, but I've had up to three collies. And the collies that uh, I'm, the, the, the border collies I have, uh, uh, I actually select them because they're very good, like I talked about being stooge dogs, at a school to lend to people. And... Uh, what I call a quarter of uh, the quarter bubble is where you put some uneducated sheep or cattle in a corner, you get of a yard, a 90 degree if preferable, uh, and then get between the dog and the mob, let the dog work, but zone it off. So I had a dog called Noble, he was a, uh, he was a class act at sneaking in and having a bite. But um, if you are between him and the mob with a garden rake in your hand, and if you're slick enough with your movements, then you can stop him from biting. And those dogs I really solely had for the purpose of lending to people at the school. Uh, so we were able to be in position so that biting was never excessive or out of control. But uh, with that, I'm not using them on a mob where I'm well away from where they are. For example, I'm not up the front of a big mob with them down the back and they're not getting that opportunity to bite because that's not the way I work them. So if I was working them like that and they were biting, I'd put a muzzle on them, but I'd also do the same thing for a Kelpie if they were that way inclined. 100%. Another question here from Pat Dwyer. How do you deal with dogs with temperaments or nature that may not suit the handler's nature? Well, you've got, if you've got the opportunity to assess them uh, early enough from when you got them, whether it's a pup early in its life or whether you've bought or been given a dog, uh, it's a hard call because you, in a way you've got to have a dog a few months. Some bond to you straight away like they were never not yours, but you've really got to have a dog for a few months before it actually gels or meshes with you. But in that time, if you can just tell there's a personality clash that you and the dog just grate each other, there's that's a perfect time, and especially now with that much demand for dogs, advertise it, tell people exactly what is not working for you because there's probably someone that will really, you know, quite often a footballer leaves the club uh, and it, it's not real fa a favourable departure. They go somewhere else and become absolutely a, a match winner. And dogs can be the same, so... Uh, we've got to work out, and Greg Prince, 
uh, on his list he said must like and uh, if you don't like the dog there's a fair chance it's not liking you so give it an opportunity to be somewhere else that's a, that's that's just a good common sense thing to do but uh, some people handball them too quick and don't get to have that opportunity for them to bond and other people keep them way longer than they should have where they weren't getting on. It's, um, but you probably have got to have done both to, to, to find out where the balance point is. Um, uh, some people won't give a dog away or give up on a dog in case the next person uh, uh, clicks into gear next day and becomes a, a match winner. Well, I reckon that's a good day for the next person. I never... Uh, that's that's just good luck down the track, yeah. But uh, we've got to learn to judge them, judge them as early as we can, uh, and then either keep them or pass them on, sell, give away, whatever the case may be. Totally. And you mentioned there about matching up um, with you know, handler and dog, and had a question here from Ben. Um, how much in your course do you um, is dog handling compared to human handling? uh i'm not quite sure of the question but um uh you can never quite uh, a lot of my course is about stock handling um because i i was selling and uh selling a lot of dogs and people were grumbling about them and then i watched the person work the dog and a lot of not everyone but a lot of people are clumsy bumblers when it comes to working livestock themselves so the dog they were ratting on the dog for being uh not good enough when in actual fact that person wasn't initiating the flow of livestock to help the dog and that person wasn't keeping the flow of livestock happening so a lot of my course is showing people how to work, work livestock but then that's really training people anyway either way whatever whatever this the course is it's uh there's a, there's a lot of people training and getting people to try to understand there's other approaches or or maybe we need to come at things from another angle so i don't know what the breakdown would be but a lot of the course is about uh, well even nowadays uh one of the biggest problems facing rural australia and especially the stock industry we're looking down a big fat smoking barrel uh, called critical labor shortages that's that's going to get worse before it gets better if that and, you know you see them plowing in strawberries and and uh can't it can't sell fruit because they can't pick it well it could get to the stage where it's very hard to muster cattle on remote areas or maybe even not or, or, or any area so a lot of the course is showing people how to work a dog but also with the working of a dog illustrate it's a communication course because really if people aren't getting on with a dog their communication's probably a bit warped somewhere if someone's not getting on with livestock there's a communication issue and if people aren't getting on with their employer or their employee, it's a communication issue. So quite often what I point out where a dog's getting frustrated with a, a, its owner, quite often then that person works out that's why their staff are getting frustrated with them or vice versa. So quite often there's an awareness created why people are having trouble in the workplace, but it's created accidentally uh, from understanding why dogs are not understanding livestock, uh, not understanding their owner, and also why livestock are having trouble reading the body language of people. They, they'll never actually understand the verbal language, but it's the body language that dogs and livestock have really got to understand. So there's people training in it without it tr without trying to make it people training. That just comes by accident. Talk about training there. There's a question from Natalie Grimmer. Um, 
Parnell, you have spent a lot of time educating people and stock all around Australia. What differences do you notice in handling practices and approaches around the country between states and types of different country and how you believe they have evolved throughout the years and have been traveling around? Well, I don't think there's huge differences between areas. When you go to an area, there's always one or two outstanding people with dogs and a lot of people that are very ordinary or mediocre or don't have dogs. Uh, probably the biggest change is the fact from when I first started, uh, it's now that people are entertaining, uh, educating cattle, wieners, and now they're starting to think about making an actual project of, say, getting your ewe lambs, ewe wieners, call them what you want, and uh, and doing a formal education on them, which needs to be dogs bringing the stock to the owner. Now, that you don't have to do that for the, for the entire your life, the dog's life, or the livestock's life. But to get livestock to surrender, there's got to be a central point that the dogs know where to tuck into. And that takes away all the rogue element, the breakaway, the spills. And uh, what we've got to do to, to get into a better patch with our livestock, livestock have to learn to walk straight. They've got to, we've got to have livestock that start easy, stop easy and walk straight. And you get that by being in front of the mob and having the dogs bring two. Because every time the stock go to spill, theoretically the dogs should cover and point them back onto you you're up the front front, so you can control the speed and the destination of the front of the mob, the lead, and then the dogs are doing the tucking in. And if they do that well, dogs learn to tuck livestock in, livestock learn to be tucked in, and therefore they don't spill and go anywhere. So what's happened in the time that I've been doing dogs, it's been with dogs and livestock, It's there's been a great awareness that people need to be educating their cattle weaners. Now, with the price of cattle at the moment, if you haven't got the skills and you haven't got the necessary number of dogs, it would be a great idea to get a professional dog handler to educate more than just your wieners, do your breeders if you can afford it. And then nowadays people are starting to work out that the process of educating wieners, which we see more so in the north, it's certainly happening in the south, but then people need to do that with their sheep, bring them into the yards, block them up, do a mock draft where they're going straight through the draft, down through the race, um, in and out of shed. Uh, people with a, a, a one fellow down there, I had enormous trouble loading Dorper sheep out of his shearing shed. The ramp, the trucks used to back into the ramp. So then he altered the ramp so that the ramp could also go up to a truck, but it could also drop down to almost ground level. So every time he finished processing sheep, whatever he's doing, drenching, needling, landmarking, he would always have the sheep go from the yards through the shed and exit it from the ramp and they jump off the ramp. It was, it was probably only uh, 12 inches, 18 inches off the ground, so it wasn't a big jump because he was able to lower it. So those sheep learn to exit the yard by going through the ramp. Well, he's having very little trouble loading uh, trucks out of there now because he's trained his sheep. And that's probably what we've got to start realising is the education that's happening in the north with cattle would would pay huge dividends if people started to do that with sheep in the south or everywhere. Yeah, uh, totally agree. There's a question here from Angela, Angela Hornbuckle. Um, how, sorry, this, here we go. Hey, I can see again. How would you encourage a dog that's strong on sheep and didn't have confidence on cattle, but uh, did have confidence on cattle but lost it? Um, 
without seeing it, I don't know. It, 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 you've got to the, – the big thing is, number one thing is have dogs tied up or caged when you're not using them. So it, 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 that's number one thing to go to. The next thing is you've got to have a, a really good rapport, a bond, a, a connection. And I try I harp about this bond and connection and, and rapport. And some people just it's they don't understand it. Uh, so there's a new age word now. Everyone knows it called Bluetooth. If you haven't got a Bluetooth with your dog, it's not going to play the music for you. If that makes sense. And really, you need a Bluetooth with your livestock and your staff. That the whole show. So the person probably needs to make sure that they've got a good enough bond with the dog. Um, the next thing with the uh, livestock, if you're doing a quarter bubble, it's it's a trap because if you've got out of control sheep or cattle, when you put them in the corner, if you're not careful that they spill and then you can bring them into a fence, which is undesirable. And then if you get cattle that are very dog educated and put in the corner, there's no challenge for the dog to want to come in and work them. But I would nearly go that way of, of having, if you've got them, educated, softer, easier to, uh, more compliant sheep and cattle, put them in the corner and sensibly reach back into the corner with the garden rake and flick their heads out nicely, not roughly, but put the rake back in there so that you're always turning a beast's head out onto the dog. So instead of just getting the rake and trying to push the dog around the yard, make sure you're clever enough to manipulate the mob about so that when you walk one way, you're actually sending cattle the other way. So the dog's going from your body to the moving head of the cattle. So to get a dog's confidence back, you've got to be pretty cluey with the way you're manoeuvring the cattle because in an ideal situation, you would have um, five head of cattle, for example, that follow you very close so that their, their nose is nearly on the back of your pants. So the gap between you and the cattle is very small. So that if you put a pup out there, the gap between you and the cattle is that small that the dog can't cross. It can't run between you and the mob. So therefore, you don't have to do any brash intimidation with the rake to stop the dog from crossing. Therefore, the dog will start working. I do have one New Zealand hunterway dog called Sunday that's virtual mad crazy maniac. But she's she's like a uh, she looks like a uh, rodeo clown. She looks real dumb, but she's actually very clever, uh, and she just barks her head off. So I put her out there for one or two, sometimes seconds. That's nearly enough. I put her out there for a small a lap up and down the yard, with a bark and a head off. And quite often that reluctant young dog that's looking for out, all gone a bit cagey and a bit iffy. All of a sudden, there's that much excitement there that he joins in, and then I can get her to go and get on the bike or sit down. But with that, the majority of my kelpies I can get to bark fairly freely. So if there's a dog in there struggling for confidence, I put it in with other dogs, get them to bark, make a bit of a uh, excitement, and then as soon as the dog clicks on, get them to hop on the bike, vanish, go and sit in the tent, and hopefully that's been enough to get that pup to go. But one of the big things, people won't um, barrack for a dog. Quite often when a, they'll chip a dog for doing something wrong, for coming around too far or not going far enough or whatever the case may be, but very few people with their voice or voice tone compliment a dog. You know, they don't put much wow factor in it when a dog's doing something right. So it's um, most bushfires start with the tiniest of a spark and quite often if that reluctant, gone flat dog, if it does one little thing right, you've got to actually do a bit of fair bit of barracking and wow factor you don't have to do it for the dog for the rest of your life when he's 10 year old you shouldn't be 
uh, conning him like a kid trying to encourage him when he's 10 year old but there's a period in their life and and a lot of dogs um, will have a stage in their life where they're uh, you might have been too uh, unrealistic with what you're doing you might have roared at them too much verbally so a lot of dogs do go flat at stages so it's up to you to create a situation and get a bit of wow factor back in and get them uh, ignited again covered really well mate Another question here from Mark Mangold. Do you believe there is a place for those softer type dogs you mentioned in a team or do you think they let the team down and have a negative effect and get in the way of the better dogs? Uh, I'm, I'm really happy with, I'll make this up. If someone's really disgruntled with a dog and it goes, only works the left-hand side of the mob, I grab it. And I find someone else with a dog very disgruntled because it works the right-hand side of the mob and I put them together. So likewise, if there's a um, – if the, I, I, it's lovely to have the dream and the, to have the complete all-rounder dog, but you don't always get them. You, you find that some tend to be good opening batsmen and some tend to be good opening bowlers. So I think if we've put a man on the moon, we should be clear enough to recognise those traits in a dog. And I'm quite happy to get a few misfits uh, get their, have their morale and, and have them feeling important and put them in a team. And that also goes for those softer dogs. In a, what I try to do, especially with working cattle and especially if you're using dogs on cattle or wieners in the yards, I try to get my dogs to build a wall where I've got three or four dogs all in a line and quite often you can get your softer dogs to act brave or be brave if they're lined up with three or four other dogs. Whereas if they're on their own and a cow turns, quite often they flee the situation. But if they've got company of other dogs, quite often they're brave and they've got a wall. It can be. It's not always the case. If you've got a super brave dog, it's in biting at the nose or trying to bite a front foot and it's too aggressive in front of a beast. And then quite often they get platted and they're off to the vets. So you've got this crackerjack of a brave dog, but quite often they're either they unfortunately have an early death or they're quite often injured. So whilst it doesn't, uh, while it can be annoying, I'm quite often happy to have three or four softer dogs get in a line, uh, work together when, when the need's there. You don't want them all, you know, like say, if a beast breaks, so they'll whip around, block it up. When it turns to go back to the mob, either sit down or go to a more appropriate spot. So I can accommodate soft dogs in a, in a, in a team, but you don't want them all soft. But yeah, if, if you've got one or two brave ones and one or two soft ones, and quite often your brave one is in close and your uh, not-so-brave dog is hanging back. So that's quite often a good deterrent for cattle because while they're the cattle are having a duel with the dog that's brave and they think they can run over the top of that dog, if they look up and see a dog sitting X amount of metres back, they go, Phew, there's a back line there. And sometimes a dog hanging back can be very beneficial if your brave dog is getting under siege, it's yeah, it's. Uh, uh, I'm happy with some softer dogs, that's for sure. But, um, ben is asking, do you encourage a team on cattle versus single on smaller mobs? Yeah, I'm very much a team people. Uh, that's not for everyone, but I'm. Uh, even on a small mob, I'd probably have three dogs, you know, at different spots of the mob and hopefully not just flocking them as in going from left to right, left to right, left to right. You really need your pups doing that to a fair degree. 
But as dogs get older, they need to be able to track along with a, on a position on a mob so as not to use excessive energy, just lapping the mob for the sake of it. So I'd try to have three good purposeful dogs, but then I'd probably have another two as well, which are learners coming on. So if you get a snake bite or something happens to your older dog, you've actually had some others out doing a job. You probably didn't need that many on a mob, but it's given them an opportunity to work. Because another trap people fall into, you ask them how old that dog is and they say 12 months. You ask them again next year and they say 12 months. And that happens for 10 years. And then all of a sudden, how old's your dog? And they say, oh, 17. It's, people don't realise their dogs are getting old until they've all of a sudden got this ancient team and they're left with a vacuum again. So that's probably a reason why I'd use more dogs than I'd need to, providing they're not disruptive to the mob, providing they're still cattle care. I use more dogs than I need in order to be given young dogs an opportunity to do something. On that, Jacob Ryan has asked, what is your ideal dog um, for cattle and why? Well, once again, uh, uh, the ideal dog is pretty hard to get, so that's why I probably go for a team. But I really like a dog that'll get around, that wants to go and get to the other side of the mob, assuming that the cattle are running away from you uh, or facing away from you. One that gets around the front is brave enough to come in, hold its ground. Um, if it can tuck in and bring cattle to you, that's real good. And after that, it really a lot of it depends on the dog's nature or temperament. That can be a topic of great debate. But then the dogs, it's got to be compliant enough to come back and push with you or work the side or, or work off balance when the situation need is needed. So um, a good, brave dog with cover. And I, I'm real happy with uh, dogs that bark, I think, on cattle. Um, if they're not backpedalling and barking, it's pretty good. If they've still got some aggression and they come in, that is one way that you can really get a total surrender from your cattle and you've got them so that um, they're almost a, a immune to uh, weird noises. Uh, some people um, wean cattle, put them in a paddock, and something makes them rush. You know, there's all sorts of what made them rush. It might have been a min-min light. I don't, I'm not sure. But there's all the different theories. I reckon an alarm clock went off one morning in, at Avago in uh, the Territory and uh, some cattle trotted around a yard. So... Uh, uh, I don't know what it was, but everyone's got a theory. But I'm hearing more and more that the dogs, that, the, the weaners that are properly educated with good covering dogs and they've had some exposure to bark have less chance of rushing to a spooky owl noise or whatever it might be, and it's mainly at night. Um, so uh, it, it can be a great advantage to have your cattle conditioned to bark. I suppose that actually runs into a question here from Pat. Uh, what are your thoughts on... What are your thoughts with bark on cattle? Would pups learn to bark if if running with another barking dog? Um, well, that depends on... I've got a young bitch at the moment called Connie who I'm liking a lot and I've had her in with heaps of barking dogs and she won't even squeak. There's, there's, I don't think... You don't even hear her barking on the chain. So I don't think bark's part of her system. So with her, I think you could have her running with a pack of underweights and she's not going to bark. That's her her makeup but the other thing is we've had some uh, uh helen and i've got lucky with a patch of dogs lately and a lot of them uh we've started with barking dogs and it's really put a lot of spirit and bounce into them and i think having them with barking dogs has encouraged them to bark so 
it, it depends on the makeup of the dog, really, I think. Speaking on, you mentioned you come across a patch of some dogs here. Um, Kane has asked, have you got a particular line of dogs that suits you and, and why do they suit you? Well, we obviously started breeding dogs back in the mid-80s and had little flashes of dogs that we liked. You know, they, they were in the days when we were yard trolling and got some wins with some dogs and, and, and we'd mate two dogs. You see, there's dog breeders and there's dog maters. A lot of people... If you look at a dog's pedigree, it's got the same prefix for many generations back where someone's actually a student of genetics and they know how to put dogs together. Well, we we bred some good ones and then things weren't working for us. So even two or three years ago, I had a couple of pups that just never worked out for the year. They got given away as pets and one of them I bred themself, myself. But then it's uh, we are breeding good dogs okay dogs at the moment and someone said how did you do that and I said we got lucky uh, we bought a dog a bitch off Facebook and I got given another dog from uh, Courtney Robinson and I gave it to Helen and those that mating has just been exactly what we want the dog the I don't know why but the male dogs come out a bit sensitive they're a bit spooky and you couldn't roar at them too much because they'd look sideways but they're very very easy to live with they're peaceful dogs they're not um uh, annoying to other dogs or to you in the camp. Uh, they're a little bit soft, uh, but they're the, the bitch pups come out a little bit braver. I don't know why that is. But just at the moment, we're in a patch where we're getting uh, dogs that we like. But I can't tell you the line of dogs they've come from because uh, really they were dogs from that other people had bred. We've mated them. We've put our prefix on them, but it certainly doesn't go back any more than one or two generations. So we can't call ourselves... Uh, uh, long-established breeders, and I don't know what line of dogs to recommend. There's uh, there's some people that have been very very successful with dogs, um, but I think they have patches of uh, where dogs are going better than nor better than other periods of time. But probably if you if you study the the dog work the the trial world, um, I think anyone that's uh, successful they're probably on a line of dogs that that are that are good. Daniel Pumper has asked, have you ever had a period in your life where you lost a bit of interest with dogs due to work and life being busy? If so, how did you get the keenness back? Oh, well, that, that can happen every day when dogs are annoying you. But sometimes <laughs> that, 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 that's a frequent thing. Um, uh, there's probably never been a, 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 a period of more than an hour or two that, you think, why have I got dogs? It's only if they're really annoying you that you have those moments in a day. Uh, but there's there's never been a time where I've given up on dogs. Um, you do see a lot of people that are, they come into the dog world and they're good for one era. Like for, you know, say a dog's 10-year-old, they might get a dog and a couple others and they're real successful, real enthusiastic, either in the dog world or successful at working livestock in their own enterprise. But when those dogs... That when their life runs out as an old age dog, they don't seem to get going with a new team again. They, they uh, uh, I, I've, I've always been as one team of dogs phased out. I've always had more coming in. So there's never been a gap where I'd given up on dogs. Um, so I don't know how to answer that I would have got back. Uh, I, I haven't had to work out how to get back keen on them because I haven't have actually given up on them 
for any more than those cranky moments where you think, what am I doing this for? But I think that's with any profession, any profession, profession anywhere. Have you had a dog that an uh, influential dog um, that's got you to where you are today or change your I've, mindset? Yeah, I've had many. The first dog I ever had, he was like a person. You, um, it, it amazes me now everyone talks about sides on a dog and I reckon that's loosely termed. When a dog runs towards livestock, I think that's a sin. But a lot of people can't stand with their arms folded and get a dog to come back to the person on the left or the right of the mob. And I've had about three dogs in my life that I could do that with. The first dog I trained him, another one was that kelp that uh, other people, uh, Steve Wayman and uh, Toby Lindsay had trained. They had real good sides on him, so I just cheated and copied them. And then I've had a couple of others that I've put, oh, sort of if you imagine they've got sides, but, yeah, you wouldn't go out in a three-sheep trial and do any winning. So that first dog I had, I had him so that he could be running flat one way and you give him the command and he'd spin on a dime and go the other way. But that was my first dog that was all important. I, I was crusading in those days. But it's strange how I started him. I was behind a mob with him on a piece of string, dragging him to the left, dragging him to the right. But I didn't know anything else about having him on, go on balance and, and doing um, blocks and hand signals and all those sort of things. And then um, so that first dog I had was a, was very instrumental at changing my direction in life because he brought me into the into the dog world. Uh, and then there's been many others along the track that have been uh, very, very capable dogs. Um, and, and probably the team I've got now, um, I'm a, I find them as enjoyable to have as, as any of the dogs. Uh, uh, it's easy to fall back and, rem and, and not actually enjoy the new dogs you've got because you're still remembering those old ones. So when they're gone, I, I cherish the memories. I appreciate the, what they were in their life, but then I step forward. But, yes, I've had uh, some very good dogs and it's, it's uh, been a, uh, a real excitement thing to have them for that period of time. So is there one thing that you see, uh, obviously you're travelling all the time, is there one thing that you see handlers struggle with and where do you believe that they can improve? Well, it, it's all, um, I, I say, a lot of people are very ordinary with dogs. Uh, and then you get the ones that are excellent, the likes of Greg Prince and, you know, the, and really where I am is only a gap between ordinary and excellent. So I can't do all the whiz-bang manoeuvres that the trialers can do. Um, the, 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 the age-old problem, and I mentioned it before, is the average person on the land that's not in the dog world leave dogs off the chain unattended and that that's that's the real big headache it's pretty hard to do anything with them if they haven't had their privileges taken off them and and only had the person off the uh, only associate with the dogs when the dogs off the chain the people have to be in attendance and that's the big thing it's hard to train those dogs and hard to train those people until they know the importance of keeping dogs tied up the next thing is uh, understanding that it's necessary to uh, have a trainer mob. I saw a, on Facebook the other night, somewhere overseas, Thailand or somewhere, a, a fellow training monkeys. So he had a monkey with a collar on it and a chain, and he uh, they show you showed you a fully trained monkey that would go up a tree and get a coconut and spin it, and then they were showing how to get these baby um, 
monkeys to spin coconuts and it was all rehearsal and it was exactly like training a dog where they a lot of people go and get a pup and put it straight out on a big mob of livestock well it's not going to work it's probably the same as the monkey not going up the tree so people have to realize that they've got to go back and have a training mob and not even there is a trap that people may be paying big money for dogs now and because they've paid a lot of money they must think that the dog is ready to go to work on their livestock in their paddocks but they still need to take the dog to a small area and find out if it's got any cobwebs get to understand it so People need to practice and rehearse with either a new dog or a pup or even if they're having trouble with their own dog. It might be splitting some sheep off the mob, might be running through the middle of the mob, might be going around the front when it's not necessary. So we've still got to realise that you see um, even the best sportsmen in the world still have a coach. You know, when Ricky Ponting was going real well, he still had a batting coach. So we've still got to coach dogs through uh areas even if they're good to keep them brushed up um other problems uh, 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 a lot of people in the cattle world you talk that you someone's worked their weenus with dogs and then the talk is the cattle have been over dogged that's seldom the situation i believe what a lot of times it is the person working the dog working the cattle with the dog is turning back into the cattle so a lot of inexperienced dogs circle the mob. They run between the owner, the handler, and the mob. So straight away, the, the lead, the front, the, the influential cattle are getting sniped at by a dog. And then the person turns savagely back in to correct the dog, and the cattle think that the person's being aggressive to them. So then the cattle don't want to walk forward, and then they scrum, and then they're hard to shift. And the, the word comes out that they've been over dog, but in actual fact, I think they've been misunderstood and the people aren't careful enough at being considerate to the front of the mob of cattle, and it's the same with sheep, when they're training the dog and training the sheep that they make them scrum instead of walking forward. So that's probably one of the biggest problems that's preventing people from getting success is that they're not leading the stock well enough in the training period of the cattle and the training period of the dog. Now, further down the track, uh, you probably don't have to be as uh, fussy because the cattle can become forgiving. But there's a period of time where cattle are going from never having seen dogs to becoming very compliant. You've got to be very courteous to the cattle when you're in front of the mob. Otherwise, you can stall them and then the dogs become losers. Hundred percent. But when starting out, who inspired you? Um, well, as I said, that the old neighbour from that—that that was my first inspiration. Um, and he wasn't in the dog world; he was just a fellow that ran livestock and was very capable with the dog. But ironically, he was a New Zealander. Uh, so you know, once again, the New Zealanders have a whole new uh, or a whole different uh, understanding and desire, and need and passion and and enthusiasm for dogs. A lot of that is because of terrain; they've got to be that way. But that is a, a culture with New Zealanders that they're, they're proud people with their dogs, and that, that's very good. So he was the person that probably inspired me to, to go and get a better type of dog. And then it was just in the dog world, just uh, in the trial world, the yard dog competition world, I did a few sheep, three sheep trials, but that, uh, that was limited. And uh, so it's just watching other people and listening to conversations and, and, and trying things. So... Um, yeah, it was uh, picking up relevant, what I seemed, you know, uh, when someone was talking, you can nearly 
go, ha ha, that, that's going to work. So it was that original fella off the land that wasn't a dog person as such, uh, and then just uh, paying attention when other people were working dogs. What do you think is your best achievement um, in what you've done with your dogs and handling and and in just in general with what you do? Well, it's it, it's different if you're talking yard trial, and I had uh, success there, which is a real good buzz. That's a good thing, but probably it, this will sound odd. One of the things that I get great satisfaction out of is seeing a big lineup of. Be all sorts of breeds of cars, but when you see a big lineup of Toyota Utes at a, at a school, you, you know that there's many people that have come off the land. They've got a desire to learn about livestock, and they've come together for a common reason. So it's the bringing of people together, and it's been um, rather rewarding. Just this last twelve months, I suppose, where there's some absolute ripper kids. I'll call them kids between ten years and fifteen years of age that are taking on a dog, they're caring for it, they're getting a trainer mob, they're getting all their techniques, they're, they're actually wizards coming through. I think in another 10 years' time, there's going to be a whole new uh, brand of enthusiastic young people. So that's that's very uh, much a buzz that I get to be able to get people. And, and that brings a better life for dogs. So uh, it, it's, it's across the board thing to be able to get people to understand and appreciate dogs and to try to get some uh, younger people to start it earlier in their life before they get set doing weird and wonderful things that make dog handling harder than it needed to be. So, yes, between uh, having success in the yard trials early on and then um, had a little bit of success three sheeping, but I got lucky there, I think, and uh, as a bit of a Bradbury thing, and... Uh, and but just being able to get being able to get people to come out and uh, and even now we're getting a couple of uh, younger people. We need more instructors. There's there's more need, and um, it'll come that way. You have got to have a ticket to drive a forklift now. Well, it'll come that way. I'm not I'm not making it come that way, but it is. You'll have to have a ticket to work uh, dogs or and or livestock. So we do need some new instructors coming forward. And exactly, <clears throat> but me, a few of them start to happen now. Hundred uh, percent, mate. We are pretty mindful of your time here, but we have got a stack of questions. Do you mind if we just ask a couple more? Yeah, yeah I'm all good. I'm just joking on something, but other than that, I'm right. <laughs> no, no, you're right. Um, Tim um, has asked here. Um, obviously, dogs um, all mature at a different rate, and he's at a stage where he tolerates a bit of aloofness in his pack between six to twelve months, the teenage years. Do you see some dogs that have been rat bags end up? Pretty reasonable, good dogs. Uh, you mean rat bags early in yeah. in life? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, they're all different, and uh, you hear the old timers talk about the the dog never did anything. It followed the horse for three years, and it come good overnight without any training. Well, I think that's almost become a folklore uh, yar story. Uh, uh, I've had a couple of. Uh, what turned out to be very, very good dogs are almost butterfly chasing, non-paying attention things till nine or ten months of age and came good. Mm -hmm. But by then you're starting to get impatient and you're worried about or working out where you can give them away as a pet. Um, 
I've got a young bitch at the moment that is very dominant with cattle. She's got a lot of firepower. She'll shift them and come around. She's hard work. She's always walking ahead of you and she's always overdoing things and, and those sort of things. But you've really got to put up with a couple of them because they don't, they're there with you at the end of the day when it's got dark. Some You've misread there's more cattle in the mob and they're not as behaving as well. And you need a dog to do it, a Gallipoli soldier act at the dying stages of the game. So you've got to put up with some rank rebels at times, but you don't want to have the whole team. Otherwise, you're on Valium yourself. You've got to look after your own brain box. So you probably don't need every dog a rebel but you probably need one or two to have the grit when things get a bit ordinary. So, uh, yeah, hard dogs can come good eventually uh, and and uh, pixie ones can come good. Uh, yeah, it just depends on on, on yourself. Uh, uh, it depends on how, you, how you're starting them. And there's a hundred things come into it. There's a big list and it can be any all of that or a little bit of everything. So... Yeah, uh, rank dogs can come good. 100%. And Karen's asked, um, how do you train dogs not to bark? We, may, we were talking about bark before. Uh, if you have a dog that's barking a bit, how do you train them not to bark? Well, I'm, I'm always uh, roaring at them or waving a rake at them or uh, whatever when they're barking on the chain. You know, you go over and belt the side of their kennel or hit the corrugated iron or bang a 20-litre drum. Or I, I always do something to discourage dogs from barking when they're tied up on a chain when there's no need to bark. So hopefully you've got some sort of shut-up call. Uh, quiet's a better word. Um, so hopefully you've got a word or a whistle that silence dogs when you're trying to sleep at night and they're in their kennel. So hopefully then you can just use that quiet call, that shut-up, whatever, whistle, whatever you want, to discourage them from barking when they're working livestock when you don't need them to. And I've can had I, a bit of that today. That's why probably... Can I add, what, what, my, my technique on that myself is I one of the first things I do is teach a young dog to bark on on command so that way I can shut it off. And then I yeah, find well, when I do give that quiet command, um, they actually know what it means and not just barking because they're hearing my voice. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's... Yeah, if you teach them to bark, they know, know not to. All right, that's it. Uh, that's just something I, I found that works for me. Yeah. Um, probably the other thing I mentioned with barking really annoys people. Uh, if you look at a helicopter, what makes a helicopter work is noise and placement. Is noise and placement. That's, how, that's what makes a helicopter work. But I reckon if a helicopter barked, it would get shot out of the sky. But if you could get a dog to go choo, 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 like a chopper, I reckon everyone would have helicopter noise dogs. Does that make sense? <laughs> so it's, um, it, it, it grates with people. It annoys people more than it annoys the cattle. Yeah, 100%. What would you like to see on the Dog Talk website um, so we can service our listeners and community? Um, well, obviously, your, your site is very new and, uh, prior to this week, I uh, was unaware of it. Uh, uh, but from a uh, conversation the other day, I think what you're doing is absolutely a winner. Uh, it's very necessary. Um, and I don't understand all the Facebook rules for selling dogs, but if you've got a selling site on there, that's very good. 
keep these interviews going with uh, all different uh, people, whether they're in the trial world or they're people on the land working dogs and livestock, keep the interviews going because someone might say something in the interviews that uh, fills in the pieces of the jigsaw puzzle for other people uh, and probably just keep doing what you're doing is what I would say. And it, if new things uh, are going to happen, they'll naturally evolve anyway. So, yeah, just keep keep what you're doing and keep it happening. Fantastic. And if there was a person or two you'd like us to sit down and have a chat with, who who would that be or who would they be? Oh, well, it'd be many. I'd give you a huge list of uh, people that are around Australia that have uh, been successful in transforming their livestock operation. And the big thing I'm on about is not just the use of dogs to get sheep or cattle in, but the, the use of dogs and clever stock handling to change the culture of the sheep or cattle from ones that were hard to muster, hard to put through the yards, hard to process, into ones that are very soft and, and uh, compliant. And, uh, yeah, I, there's a, there could be a huge list if, you, if you're looking for that. I can that, That's easy to find. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Um, I want to apologise to a heap of people tonight. We've had an absolute stack of questions tonight, but we haven't been able to get to all of them because we would be here to midnight. And unfortunately, we all have to get the paying jobs tomorrow as well. Um, so everyone that has contributed asking questions tonight, thank you very much. Much appreciated. Um, it's that part of the night where you get to decide the best question for the bag of enduro working dog food. Ah, you got me. I haven't been paying enough attention. Uh, I, I, <laughs> I was hearing the questions and not trying to select one. Um, I'm just, just think of a question, mate. I've been here watching you, and I'm str I was struggling to think of them myself while I was being asked. So you got the job in front of you. Ah. If you have an idea of the question, I can find the person's name. Is it, say that again. If you have an idea of the question, I can find the person's name. Oh, so do I have to? Uh, do I have to think of it now, or can I ponder on it? You want the grand finale prize now, or not? Good choice, mate. Was there one question that sparked out to you tonight? Um, well, I'll have to think of one. It, it was probably the question about um, the the soft dogs in a team. Mm -hmm. Do I? Uh, yeah, I would, in a way, have instead of having one brave dog attacking a beast, I would rather have two or three not so brave dogs building a wall so they get dominance over the cattle through numbers more so than just flying attack. So being able to um, uh, being able to make a dog's life purposeful by getting a softer dog and building its confidence and having it in a team is uh, being able to do that more available than to go and get one brave dog, I think, and to keep that dog alive. So yeah, the person that asked the questions about the uh, can I use can do I use soft dogs uh, soft dogs purposeful with working cattle? I think some soft dogs could certainly slot into a team and be very effective. Mate, did you have to pick him? He's going to remind me about that question all week. So congratulations, Mark Mangold. Uh, I've got your details already, mate. Just um, flick me a message during the week to remind me. But I'm sure I'll hear from you in the morning, anyways. So um, congratulations, Mark. Neil, we'd like to thank you for taking your time tonight to chat with us. It's been really good. Um, and to all of our members for tuning in, thank you.
Uh, one question before we finish up. Would you rather fight one duck the size of a horse or 20 horses the size of ducks? Well, I think it might be a trick question, but that my answer to the um, uh, about the soft dogs, I think I'd rather fight one big duck than 20 little ones. Because you wouldn't know where they were coming from. But it could be a trick. I'd rather get on it. I'd rather not be fighting them. I'd rather be up <laughs> in peace with them. But uh, if they'd all gone and got these, these ducks or horses had all gone nasty on us, I'd rather fight one big one than 20 little ones. No, I agree. <laughs> but Neil, thank you again, mate. We really appreciate your time. Yeah, to all our audience out there, please remember that we learn every day and the day we stop learning will be a sad day for all of us. Thank you. Have a good night. Thank you. Thank you very much.